This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Good morning. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much for welcoming us. Thank the pastoral team for the leadership of the church for having us here this morning. Uh, before I start, I must say, uh, you will recognize by now, I have a strong Indian accent. And I, I have this tendency to speak fast and speak loud. So I'll try to make a promise to talk slower and uh, try to be a little more softer. But that is an Indian promise. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so it's a great privilege to be here. We've been coming to South Africa for many years now. We teach at the International Sports Leadership School. um, And I have a background of uh, my special love for South Africa is because I played a lot of cricket at the national level, like your Curry Cup is similar to that. Um, And I grew up, as I grew up, I grew up, my heroes a little older South African cricketers, and some of you will remember them. Mike Proctor, Eddie Barlow, Colin Bland, Graeme Pollock, Peter Pollock, and Lindsay, and those kind of guys. They were the best cricket team ever in the world. Did you know that? I think they were the best in the world. And they beat Australia 4-0. If you be any team that beats Australia is a great team. <laughs> so I grew up with these Barry Richards hearing about them and the way and of course Trevor Goddard the captain was my great friend and he just passed away a couple of years ago associated with the sport ministry so these were my heroes Uh, and I played cricket with some of the Indian cricketers you will remember Kapil Dev, Sunil Gavaskar Mohamed Azaruddin, Ravi Shastri and those guys, I played a lot of cricket with them national championships and played 25 years of cricket so that's my background then while I was still 25 and playing at the peak of my cricket, uh, God um, met me, I met him, and I became a follower of Jesus Christ. And ever since, for 30 years, I've been in sports and mission in India. It's crazy to be in sport, in mission, in India. It's a very rare combination there. But I really praise God for the way God has worked in our lives. And I want to introduce my wife. So you, you mentioned that we run an orphanage for children and some widows ministry. came out of something that happened to us. I don't run it, by the way, and it's my wife's. And my wife will always say, you do a lot of talking while I do the work. <laughs> do you want to come, Grace? Share for two, three minutes on Sangeeta. I hope it's okay with the church that Grace will share something. Praise be to God. I am... Grace, uh, married to Paul with uh, three children now. Uh, We were married in 1984. Uh, Ours was sort of an arranged marriage. Um, Not sort of, it was an arranged marriage. (laughs) Actually, that means like uh, my my parents uh, started looking for a bridegroom for me never asked me what sort of a man I wanted, how he should look and all those things. Uh, but only thing was uh, my, my parents, because they had the 
they were from a missionary family. Uh, only condition was that the man needs to be born again. And uh, I had no choice but to say yes to everything. I was also a born-again Christian by then, but a very nominal Christian. Um, so us was an arranged marriage. I never knew him, never seen him. Uh, I said yes. When, the, when my parents brought the proposal, I said yes. Uh, then we got married. Uh, in 1984-85, we had a son born to us. Uh, everything was going very well. He was working in a sort of a very big chemical company. I was working for a very good travel agency. We had a uh, lot of money, everything, comfortable life. Everything was going well. Um, 1991, uh, I, I was carrying my, sec my second child, a daughter. It was so, uh, I mean... Uh, Everything went well till the ninth year, ninth month of my pregnancy. I became quite sick and uh, uh, the doctors examined me and they said, uh, uh, the child is going to be born with multiple deformities. Uh, and we were shattered and we found out the reason why, why this happened. And the doctors had uh, said that for my earlier pregnancy, they made a, the hospitals made a mistake in my blood test. I was uh, O negative and uh, blood group, but then the hospitals, in my records, they wrote as O positive. So I just could not go through the medical formalities of having an anti-D, anti-injection and all those things. So my baby was born with a lot of deformities and... Uh, Baby was born. Uh, the doctor said uh, uh, she will not survive maybe a week. Or she will survive a week, but with multiple deformities. We were shattered. We, we, are a, we were a huge family with Paul's father being a doctor, my mother being in the nursing profession, and the whole family. We had a huge lot of relatives. But that day when the baby was born, nobody was there with us except my mother, who was a nurse by herself. Um, that night, uh, with the baby, with the deformed baby, whom nobody wanted even to look at, uh, we were in the hospital, and I asked God, Why, Lord? Why did you do this to me? That was my only question to him. When prostitutes in the streets of Chennai would have healthy children, why, Lord, what mistake did I do? I never disobeyed you in anything. Why? So there was no answers. We came back home. Um, it was terrible. The pastor from the church came to pray with us. Yeah, in 18 days' time, she died. Um, the pastor from the church came to pray with us. While the pastor was leaving, he said, uh, there is a purpose in all that God does in the lives of his children who loves him. I got so angry with the pastor. I just walked into the room. I didn't want to see him. How could he say a thing like this when I am broken? Years passed away. God put a real sort of a burden in my heart that I should uh, 
in the place of my dead daughter i should do something for children who are orphans i am a person who would not even look at a poor child a beggar on the road even if i have to give money to a poor person i look this side and i give money that is that was my lifestyle and i this kept on pressing in my heart do something for the poor children something for the orphans and the only way to do something is to start an orphanage and that thing kept coming in my mind but i was battling with god i said no 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 i, I why this is coming i think something uh, crazy is happening and things like that then i went and shared with him uh, this type of feeling is there in my heart so he said if it is from the lord you have to say yes that was the assurance he gave me and then we started praying what we never knew what to do um, anyway to cut the long story short in 1997 we had to sort of obey the call of god i had to do that still i was working in a, a secular company we just opened a house for we didn't know where to get orphan kids chennai india is full of abandoned orphan kids but where to go get them and all the we contacted some organizations and amazingly the orphanage was ready a small place on top of a house on february 5th 1997 my my birthday on my birthday a child walks in from nowhere somebody came and said that there is a child who is abandoned would you like to take the child in to your home yes the child walked in from then onwards it has been a journey of faith a journey of miracles a journey of no disappointments in god's kingdom a journey of faithfulness by a god now i i'm 2000 and i 2018 i look back we god has led us step by step in this ministry and we named the ministry as sangeetha charitable trust and for for the past 20 22 years we have been ministering to children we have around 80 children orphans destitutes abandoned children of aids patients children of women sex workers abandoned and children who have been exposed to all sorts of evil in society and god led us every year he gives i wake up with a new vision sometimes that scares him and, uh, and then we started uh, we we have an orphanage which is surrounded by 14 villages 14 villages in the sense communities which are where they call us dalit villages the untouchables the women the community people are untouchables and widowhood widowhood is something which is considered as a uh, sin people don't associate with them widows are abandoned they once you become a widow in the villages they send them away from the family to fend for themselves this is has been a so god put a burden in our hearts and we have 450 widows in our ministry where they hear about jesus every month all non christians where they have been given food faithfully for the month food provisions like rice sugar and stuff like that and we these women 
widowhood is something where the family sends them away once you become a widow they are thrown into the village into the streets we have picked them up we have built houses for them uh, roofs for them and the most of the widows have accepted christ and this is an ongoing ministry we work among the whole villages we want the 14 villages our mission is to bring in a transformation of christ love in those villages we work among the widows we work among the younger women who have been abandoned by their families and so much god has been so faithful um, my only thing now is like to say to anybody whom i share this story is god chooses somebody a person some, someone when he feels that his purposes and his will can be fulfilled through their lives thank you vishya thank you her parents did a good job don't you think so selected the right guy you don't have a problem grace you know god can we pray together for a moment father we pray that as the word comes to us let it come with power and authority today as it always has all around the world speak in a mighty way in your name we pray amen um how many minutes do we have now okay got it ready there's um, um you know in india people speak for long uh, you you speak as the lord leads and you go on so there was this pastor who was preaching is a story that we say pastor was preaching he went on to 30 minutes 40 minutes a boy was sleeping right at the end of the room the guy was nicely sleeping young boy so the pastor wanted this message to get across to him so he said jesus lives and the guy slept and he went on 25 minutes he is the way the truth and the life wanted to wake him up but the guy kept sleeping two minutes to go he said all those who want to go to heaven stand up and he knew that the chairs will move people will get up and the boy will wake up so he said all those who want to go to heaven stand up everybody stood chairs moved but the boy slept so he said now one minute to go i must wake up this guy and so he said all those who want to go to hell stand up and the boy heard only stand up and he stood alone so he stood and the pastor very you know he thought he got it got him so he said my dear son do you know why you're standing do you know what the question is do you know why you're standing and he said pastor i don't know what the question is i know you called to stand i don't know why i'm standing but i know one thing i'm standing and you are standing along with me <laughs> we will be through in 22 minutes 23 minutes colossians chapter 3 if you have your bibles colossians chapter 3 colossians chapter 4 colossians chapter 4 it's a marvelous passage chapter 4 and we will read verses verses um 2 verses 2 follow with me colossians chapter 4 verses 2 to 6 if you have your bibles devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful and pray for us too that god may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of christ for which i am in chains pray that i may proclaim it as clearly as i should be wise in the way you act towards outsiders make the most of every opportunity let your conversation always be full of grace 
seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everybody. Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. The church at Colossae is young. They've just been around for a few years, maybe. And so Paul wants to write to this church. And as Paul writes to the church, he knows that they're struggling with a few issues. The first issue that they struggle with is, in the, if, you, if you know India, you will understand this better. But in South Africa, I don't know how you understand. Maybe there are African traditional religions. If you go to an Indian's house, a Hindu's house, there will be a number of idols in the worship room. You could see a number of them, Rama, Krishna, and all kinds of gods. And for them, they have to see God in some form or the other. The problem for Christians is in India is you worship, you talk about a God who's unseen. Doesn't work with them. You see, if you go to a Hindu's house, you have a big idol of a God. And that makes sense to them. But when the Christians like Paul preach that Christ is God, where is he? You don't see him. His spirit lives within you. Ah, I don't get this. So the church in Colossae were saying, Christ is not the fullness of deity. The fullness of deity is to see an idol or to do something more than just trust God. Can you believe this Christian faith that we have is built upon this faith in Christ? I love him. He lives. He's alive. That's faith. I don't see it, but I love him because his spirit is within me. That's why we are crazy about him. And here's what the problem was in Colossae. The problem in Colossae is he's not the fullness of deity. And Paul goes on to say, in Christ is the fullness of deity. In the first chapter he says, in the beginning he was there. While the word was created, he was the world was created, he was there. He is the beginning, the alpha. He's the end. In him is everything. You don't need to go anywhere. In Christ is the fullness of the deity. And the church is struggling with this. So he addresses that issue. Addresses that issue. Then Paul goes on to address a few more issues that are there in the church. They want to, Paul tells them, do you know that you have the mystery of Christ? You know what it is? Do you know what a great privilege it is to know the secrets of life? And I say this all over whenever I go to India. Do you know that we as Christians have the greatest privilege because we have the answers to every big question of life. We know where we come from. We know who is our creator. God is. We know when the world was created. In six days God created, and I say this to my Hindu friends. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth, the sun and the moon, the stars, the birds, the animals, the rivers, everything. Nobody can create what God created in six days. You can create, you can manufacture cars. Everything that man does is manufacture. Nobody can create anything. That only God can. And so he tells the church, do you understand this secret? We have the answers to every every question. The four big questions usually people have is this. What is the origin of man? Where do I come from? In India, we believe that we come from the monkey. Everywhere. You know, in India, we have many nine births or seven rebirths. 
I'm careful. In India, it's crazy because if you see a dog and if you if you throw a stone at the dog, the Hindu will say, don't throw the stone at the dog because in the next birth you will be, by maybe you are that. That's how the faith is. But in Christ, we have the secrets, the origin. Where do I come from? Where is love? Where do you get this? Love your enemies. Where do you get it? You cannot get it in the best universities of the world. You go to Oxford, you go to Stellenbosch, they won't teach you. Love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. They won't teach you that. Give them back. If somebody slaps you on the left cheek, show your right cheek. Where do they teach you? Where do they teach forgiveness? The big question. How do I forgive people? Where do you get forgiveness? And where do you get compassion? It is only in the Christian faith that the origin of man, love, forgiveness, compassion, and destiny, I know where I'm headed. I know where I will be. I will spend time in eternity with God. And so Paul tells the church at Colossae, my dear friends at Colossae, do you understand that we have the mysteries of life answered to us? Why are you afraid of anything? The Romans are around you, the Jews are around you, the Pharisees are around you, but we have the biggest answers to questions and we are the most privileged. You see, I told you I'm Indian, I speak fast, isn't it? The Spirit of God is good, isn't it? And so Paul tells the church at Colossae, I must remind myself, slow. Freedom from human rules. Paul says this again and again. Don't worry about human rules. You don't need to worry about that. And so Paul deals with a a number of issues Paul is dealing with. And then he talks about the testimony in, in, in that chapter. He deals with all this in the whole book of Colossae. Sorry, I don't have time to go through the references. But teaching a life to live godly life. So Paul's teaching this. And then he comes to chapter 4. And he talks about something. You know what Colossae? If your church needs to be successful... If Colossae, if the church of God at Colossae, if Christ's church at Colossae must be the best church, you know what you have to do? Verse 2 of chapter 4, be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Do you know Colossae, what it means to pray? What it means to be devoted in your prayer? Do you know that? We all, most people in the world, including Indians, give lip service to prayer. We understand the power of prayer. Let me say, there is power in prayer. There is hope in prayer. There is love in prayer. There is forgiveness in prayer. There is joy in prayer. There is comfort in prayer. We know this. But we don't have time for prayer. You know, when we go to God in prayer, some of the thoughts that I'll put together, something may be helpful. But let me give this. The the biggest tragedy of a Christian life is the tragedy of unoffered prayer. The biggest tragedy of a Christian's life is the tragedy of unoffered prayer. We don't bring prayer to God. We don't have time. Secondly, prayer only during crisis happens in India often. I go to write exams. I'm most holy. My exams are coming up. A match is coming up. I'm most holy. We pray when we are in crisis, isn't it? Our biggest prayers are when the biggest crisis come into our life. That's who we are. Prayer is the biggest untapped Christian resource people have. We all know this. I say this so often to people. 
Let me give you one example because I was going to try and say this earlier. But let me see if I can say it now. Prayer is the biggest untapped resource in the world. It is. Let me give you one example now. And then I'll give you another example because pastor said share some of the prayer answers that you had. We run we ran this children's uh, the orphanage. Do you know how difficult it is to run an orphanage in India? It's very, very difficult. Very difficult. It's pressure. It's tension every day. She's got all kinds of complications of health sometimes because of the pressure. And she comes to comes with me when I travel because I know that the last five days she has never been under pressure. But at home, every moment is a pressure at home. So I say, come with me. Take some time off. So, you know, we were trying to, we wanted, we had this children, about 80 children, and we were renting houses until we had 40 children in our house. 40 children, they were in our house. And she cooked three meals for 40 kids every day for a few years, two, three years, because we didn't have money to rent a place. And so we then we got money to rent a place. We went to rented house. And the owners always kept saying, get out. Because we cannot have 80 children in a rented 1,000 square feet house. You know what a 1,000 square feet is? Small. It's only two toilets for about 100 people. Can you imagine that? So get out. And we didn't have money. So this is the miracle. Watch now the miracle of prayer. And we've been praying, God, show us a place. And God showed us a big place. And we, in faith, that's another marvelous story of how God provided it. But let me go to the bigger story. And then we have this place. And as we give, have this place, now we have to build a building. That's about 10,000 square feet. My wife dreams big. Guys, if you have a wife who dreams big, you're in trouble, big trouble. And she had big dreams. So she said, I need to build this 10,000 square feet place. And I said, where will you find the money? God will provide. So we start praying. And while we are still here, we have this vacant space, no buildings. It's a 10-acre piece of land, but no building. And here it is. A girl, young girl comes to stay with us. She's a non-Christian. Somebody who sent us. She's an American. So the guy who sent us is a friend of us. He said, hey, here's this girl coming. Lisa is coming. Lisa's not a Christian. Don't speak a word about Christ to her. Okay. How long is she coming? Two weeks. Okay, good. So she came to the home. 100 children in a small house and she stayed in one of the rooms. For two weeks she was there, never talked about Christ, but we prayed. I mean, of course, we prayed with her and all that. At the end of two weeks, she was going to the airport. So I took her and I, I went for a drive in the city and said, Lisa, I'm going to drop you off. Okay, come with me. So we went in the car and she's sitting next to me. She's 20 years old. So she, at the, just before the airport, I think, she said, Paul, what can I do for you? How much money do you need to build this? I mean, what do you want? So I said, we have to build this place. That's it. How much money do you need? I said, just too much, too much we need. I couldn't, I didn't want to give a figure to her. I didn't, because we had something in mind. Um, to start off, we wanted about 100,000 US dollars. That's what it was. So, and I was feeling, I mean, it's, if you're an Indian and you want to ask money, you're always how to ask this. So, and this girl was 20 years old. She's still in university. I'm thinking, what's the point of talking to her? And so she took out, she said, no, no, just tell me what it is. So I said, to start, we might need 100,000 US dollars. So she had a small little piece of paper. She wrote down $100,000. And so we talked and I dropped her off at the airport. I think in less than a month's time or two months time or something like that. In two months time, she sent one check. 100,000 US dollars. 
It is unbelievable. And yet God makes it possible. Many times we think, is this possible? Yes, it is. Because there is power in prayer. That's how the whole world goes. The Christian kingdom of God goes on and on and on because people believe and pray. And that's what Paul was telling to the church at Colossae. Be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Colossae, if our church must be fantastic, if our church needs to impact the whole city, if our church needs to impact the whole of the region, you know what? There is only one answer, one question and one answer. Are you praying and are you devoted to prayer? It's the biggest untapped resource in God's kingdom. And yet we, you and I, again and again would say, I have no time to pray. Satan's biggest weapon is to keep, biggest tactic is to keep Christians away from prayer. You know that. Satan's biggest weapon is to keep us away from prayer. Think about the times you wanted to pray and you said, no, no time. I'm busy in ministry. I'm busy with my family. I'm busy with work. And then we go to the question, how long? It's never too long to be praying in God's presence. It's never too long. It's never too long. It's never too long to be in God's presence and to pray. Be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. What does the word devotion mean? I learned it in my life. My mother picked up Sorry for using a personal example. My mother picked up Parkinson's with rheumatoid arthritis. Asked when she was young, 32. And for the next 30 years, my dad was a doctor, medical doctor. His only job was to be devoted to my mother. And he would pick her up, give her a bath, brush her teeth, feed her, then go to his hospital, come back, put her to sleep, make her to lie down. And then at evening wake her up, give her coffee, make her sit down, go to his clinic, come back in the evening, feed her and put her. All the 32 years, there's nothing else he did except being devoted to his wife. That is devotion. And I must ask myself the question, am I devoted in prayer? Like my dad was devoted to his, mother, to his wife. Are we devoted to prayer? The first thing that will say is be devoted to prayer. Second one, Paul will say, be devoted, watchful and thankful in verse 2. As we move on, he says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly. Be wise in the way, verse 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer. And Paul was saying, pray that as you walk about in Colossae, as you live in Colossae, that your life will speak loud. Pray that you will make an impact in the city. That's what he was telling the church at Colossae. You have every opportunity to speak to the people of Colossae. As you meet them in the marketplace, as you meet them in your business, you have a tremendous opportunity to talk to them about Christ, to have conversations, but be, kept, be, be very ready because if you pray, God will open doors. When you pray, God will open doors. And Paul is telling the church at Colossae, how much time do we have? Ten. Good on you. Pray. Paul was saying, pray that you will live out the gospel. Pray that you live out the gospel. How many times we have opportunity to impact the lives of people and it goes by because we haven't prayed enough. 
I know I speak from a very Indian. Indians are very devoted people in anything that they do, in any religion. They're very devoted. Religion is not a problem for us. So very devoted. You can see devout Muslims. You can see devout Hindus. You will see devout Christians. Very devoted. And Paul is saying, make every opportunity. Make every opportunity that your life will speak. Your life will speak. Classically, if you go to Acts chapter 16, let me give you a story. Acts chapter 16 is a beautiful story. Paul is now in prison with Silas. And the Bible says that they were praying and praising God. So that's another crazy thing. We can talk about it forever. Paul is the missionary. But right now he's in church. He's been jailed and he's in church. And he's singing and praising God in the night, in the middle of the night. He's jailed. He's got chains on his leg and he's chained like a criminal. He's there. He and they're praying and praising God together. And in the middle of night, because they pray that God would save them, his friends and the church there has been praying for them. And so in the middle of the night, there is an earthquake and the chains come off because they've been praying so much. The chains come off. So the jailer, in those days, the jailer was a former military guy. He was a military guy. So he, he was a Roman soldier, retired guy. He was the jailer. So whenever somebody escaped, he has to kill himself. Otherwise, he will get killed. So when the moment he sees the jail gates open, he shouts out. I mean, he pulls out his big sword and is about to kill him. Right from the end of the jail, Paul shouts out. Maybe he lights a little candle and shouts out, Jailer, don't kill yourself. We're all here. We haven't run away. And the jailer looks at him and says, what kind of a man are you? The jail gates are open. You can run. Why don't you run? What are you doing, Paul? And Paul probably had this conversation. I was praying that God would release me. And I was praising and worshiping God. God intervened and opened the doors of the prison, not for me to run away but for me to speak about his goodness to you. And right there, he speaks to the jailer, the gospel. The Bible says that he spoke clearly about Christ. And that jailer comes back to him. This is a scene that you'll never see even in the movies. He comes up to Paul and says, can I wash your feet? Thank you for introducing Christ to me. Me and my family want to be baptized tonight. And they were baptized and became believers in Christ. Why? Because the church at Colossae prayed. I think if you want to see miracles happen in our city, it is prayer. The simplest thing. You don't have to be a master's in business administration to work out this strategy. You just need to be a fisherman who knows how to pray. That's it. And Paul was telling him, pray that God will give us an opportunity to display Christ grandly in our lives. That Jesus will save you. Are we quiet? Nice. We don't have this in India. So I have to check up every time. Right. The last one. And he says, pray that God will. The first one, be devoted to prayer. Second, pray that you will live out the gospel, Colossae. Third, pray that God will open doors and that we will proclaim the gospel. Pray. We all want to do that, isn't it? We all want to do three things. We want to pray. As the chauffeur church, we want to pray. As a chauffeur church, we want to live out the gospel. As chauffeur church, we want to proclaim the good news of the gospel. That's why we are here, all of us. And here is Paul saying to them, pray that God will open a door for us, that we will proclaim the gospel as clearly as we can. 
go back to Acts chapter 17. It's a fantastic passage. When Paul is in Athens, or Athens, well, how do you say that? Athens, right. You see, this is my Indianish coming out. Paul is in Athens. And he's not supposed to be doing any ministry. He's supposed to wait for his friends to come. But he walks around in the city. And as he walks around, he sees all these idols. A number of idols that are sitting there. And Paul is deeply pained in his heart to see idols in that city. And he walks around and he, and he goes to the synagogue and he starts talking to them in Acts chapter 17. He talks to them and he says, and he debates with them and he says, this cannot happen. The city is full of idols. Church, what are you doing? And among the church, the people who gathered together, there are some philosophers. Epicurean or Stoic, whatever you call them, they were philosophers, they were there. And they look at Paul and say, Paul, would you like to come to Mars Hill? Mars Hill is the place where they debated about new ideas and philosophies. Would you want to come and I will, we want to listen to you? So Paul goes to Mars Hill. Stellenbosch is Mars Hill. The University of Stellenbosch is Mars Hill. And Paul goes to Mars Hill. And the philosophers, philosophers say, come on now, speak about your God. And Paul says to them, Paul says so beautifully to them, Paul says to them, I went around the city. And I went around to Athens. I see many idols. I see many idols. And I also saw one idol that was dedicated to the unknown God. How crazy can you be? One idol to the unknown God. Unknown God. And you know what happened? The unknown God was this. There was a plague in Athens. All the cattle died. They called an expert to come. And the expert kind of bought 10 goats or 10 sheep, whatever you call them. And he said, let me try to sort it out. He brought the 10 sheep and he said, I'll let them to graze. If they don't graze and if they just sit down on the best grassing, grazing field, I know that there is a problem. So he let that sheep and they didn't graze. They just sat down. And you know what the guy said, the expert said, he came from another city. He said, you know what, there is, this is a plague. We don't know which God is against us. This plague is true, and this plague is caused by the unknown God. And then there was a statue to this unknown God. So Paul starts from there and said, I went through the city, and I see the statue to the unknown God. You worship an unknown God, but I worship a God that I know. He lives within me. He lives within me. And this God does not need idols. He will not be made by hands of man. He's not made by, uh, by steel or wood or stone. He lives... In heaven, this is the God that we worship. And he challenges that faith. And by the end of it, some believe, some don't. And people say, come back, we want to hear you. Pray that God will help you to speak with clarity the good news of the gospel. Mars Hill, we must start having intelligent conversations, isn't it? Because we know the truth. I can stand honestly, I can say, call anybody, I can speak to him. I will say to him because I know the secrets of life. I know who is God. I know my origin. I know what it is. I'll talk with you, man. I can talk with you because Christ lives within me. And I know that. And so Paul's telling the church at Colossae, hey, would you want to do this? Pray that we will be able to impact the lives of people. Last story and we'll finish. Here's the challenge on prayer for you. We can hear all this. Ah! Bonus. We can hear all this, but we can go back home, not challenged at all. Right? 
one more nice Sunday morning. Will we go back to and devote ourselves to prayer? Can I ask you, will you go back tonight and say, I want to be devoted to prayer? Forget about everything else. We were in a strategy meeting for South Asia. Pakistan, Nepal, Bhutan, Bangladesh, Maldives, Sri Lanka, and India. And every one of the countries has got problem, religious restriction. And we talked about what's the one thing that we must do. And if I would ask, leave with you just one challenge for the church. Be devoted to prayer. Just be devoted to prayer. Everything else will fall in place. Everything else will fall in place. Sometimes, you know, it's, I'm speaking to myself now. So I said, Paul, you speak well, man. Are you devoted to prayer? I asked myself the question. And it's fascinating as I tell this story. I pray that the God will challenge us. This is a circus in India. And so the story is a challenge, but listen to this. A man and a woman are in the circus. Their act is this. Have you seen, sir? Does that make sense? Am I correct? Circus is the way you say it? Right. Okay. Circus. Now, they, in the circus, in the middle of the circus is this act. The lady will be... Let me go up a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I thought I was 20 years younger. Now, here's the lady will be tied down to a wooden, uh, a kind of a wooden board, a round board, board. She will be tied like this, and that board will rotate. So, let, let's assume that the, that the lady is here, and she will rotate. And the one will rotate like this. And the man is blind, the husband is blindfolded and taken to the end of the room, exactly like this. He will, take to the, he will be taken there. He's blindfolded. And as he's blindfolded, they will turn him around. And he has to turn around. He doesn't know where he is, so they leave him. But he's got in his hands 20 knives, sharp knives. And he has to throw those knives at his wife. And the boat is rotating. So the 20 knives, they practice so hard that every time in this act, this is the most important and the most loved act in the circus. And every time he threw it, the, the knives went this way, this way, this way, this way. All the 20 knives missed the wife for 20 years. This is the highlight of the circus. So here it is. And here it's 20 years they've done it brilliantly. One night, just like all of you know, husband and wife, we have lots of challenges and we have fights within us. So the guys had a bad fight that night looks at his wife and said, tomorrow I will kill you. Nobody will know that I did it on purpose. They will know that it, probably it's a mistake. So he's so furious with his wife. And so the wife says, maybe you can't, let's see. So they come to the circus the next day, 7 o'clock, tied up the woman, and they put the blindfold on the husband, took him back, and they rotated him. And the guy never even took aim, because all these days he would be careful about his wife. But he never did. All the 20 knives, he turned around and with all this anger to kill his wife, really, he threw the knives, bang, no aim, bang, 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 20 knives. No noise. Stopped. Somebody come, came and took away this, this blindfold, they took it away. He looked at his wife and to his surprise, every one of the knives went exactly where they went for 20 years. Completely missed his wife. So the wife got down from the board. She went up to the husband and said, My dear husband, you have practiced so hard that even if you want to change now, you can't change. You will never be able to kill me like this. 
because you practice so hard? Is our life so set we cannot be devoted to prayer? Will we be devoted to prayer? Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sing.